Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I love that. I love the honesty of the Bible. Here we are, witnesses to the resurrection, and some of them are standing there doubting. Love that. Okay. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you. You can just keep your Bibles open there because we'll be there this morning. Next Sunday is a special day on our church calendar. We call it Covenant Sunday. We do it every year, the last Sunday of January, and it's the day that we sign our fellowship covenant, that's what we call it, as a church, where essentially we agree that God is calling us to love Jesus and to serve Jesus together for another year. And if you have not read the Fellowship Covenant, I would encourage you to please get a copy of it on our welcome table or look at it on our website because it would be really important for you to have read through it, look at the Bible verses, look them up before we come to next Sunday morning. That would be great. But in preparation for that, every January, we uh, talk about things that are important to us, vision and so forth. What are some of the foundational principles of who we are as a church and what we're all about? And so... We started off in January talking about prayer. Matt brought that great word on persistence in prayer. And uh, we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer. We have seven days left. And we had an all-night prayer meeting for the first time last week. And that was great. We believe around here that Jesus is our lifeblood and prayer is our lifeline. So prayer is not like an afterthought. It's not the thing we, it's not a last resort. You know, it's our first option. And um, I, wanna, I believe, too, that everything that people appreciate, everything that you appreciate about New River Church is a direct result of prayer, not clever planning or ideas, but we pray, we humble ourselves before God, and God moves in our midst. And it's a mystery, but we've discovered that if we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek His face, that God moves in our midst. And then last Sunday, we talked about neighboring. The command to love your neighbor as yourself, we learned, is not just a metaphorical command. It's not loving your metaphorical neighbor. It's actually loving your literal neighbor. And while that looks different from person to person, it looks different depending on your context or depending on the season of life that you're in, um, we're all commanded to love our neighbors. And I know some of you filled out your uh, block map I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but that was the homework we had last Sunday. I know some of you did. And then if you haven't filled out your block map yet, I would say get to it. That'd be great. We'd love that. Slacker, um, you know, but uh, please do it. And I'm joking, of course, but it's really important. Um, I know the people that have filled it out have already, like, 
it's, it's very revealing about your relationships and, you know, the, the connection that you have with the people that God has called you to live right, in, right around. And um, it's really helpful to say, oh, this is, this is where I need to be working. So I hope you do that. Use the block map. This morning, we're going to talk about what Bible teachers call the Great Commission. I alluded to it last Sunday. This morning, I'm going to call it the Great Go Mission. Not to be clever, but I'll, you'll see why in a moment. These are some of the final words of Jesus that he spoke to. And as a matter of fact, they're so important that we find them in one form or another in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So they made an impact on Jesus' first followers. How many of you understand that God's only plan for spreading the news about his love for humanity is to speak it through people like you and me? Literally, that's, I'm not exaggerating. It's literally his only plan. He has no other, no plan B. You might, be, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound very smart. Why wouldn't God have a backup plan? And why would God put this plan and put this responsibility on the shoulders of the likes of us? Why would he entrust it to us? Well, in a way, it reveals the glory of his message. And it also reveals the greatness of his character even more by putting it onto the likes of us. Look at a couple of scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this, We have this treasure, that's God's love, that's this message. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's us. We're the jars of clay. To show that this surpassingly great power is from God, not from us. That's part of the idea. Part of the plan is let's put this incredibly great message into these people who are unlikely so that when it is given and when it is shared, that there's no other explanation for it other than that must have been God because there's no way you did that. You know, we have a Pastor Rajan is one of our friends of New River Church, and he's pastor of Throne of Grace Church, and they, they meet here one Friday night a month, and Pastor Rajan likes to say that he's the donkey on which Jesus rides. You know the story of, the, of Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding the donkey, and Pastor Rajan likes to think of himself in that way. Like nobody looks at the donkey and says, man, what a great ride. It, it, they're looking at the one riding the donkey, see? And, and they, we look at how great he is. And anything good that happens through us is not us. It's Jesus. I'm just the donkey that he rode into town. I, I, that image has always stuck with me when he shared that with me. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. The Apostle Paul, this is him speaking, he says, I was shown mercy, why? So that me, the worst, the worst of sinners, right here, Paul says, that Christ Jesus would display his unlimited patience. The reason why Jesus saved Paul, according to Paul, was to display his unlimited patience. The message of your life is essentially this. If God can save me, he can save you. Because I was a wreck. <laughs> and let me tell you about that. See, that's the message of our lives. Listen, we, we live in a time 
when sharing the message of Jesus, uh, frankly, I believe, has never been easier. We, um, look around you. Like, everybody knows something ain't right. Everybody knows something's busted with the human race. Everybody. There's nobody that, you know, thinks that it's doing great. See? And, and I remember, like, years ago, when it came to sharing Jesus, I'd have to, you know, you'd have to, know, you'd have to prove that Jesus is more than a carpenter. You know, I'd have, to have, uh, I'd have to be boned up on all my apologetic arguments for the resurrection of Christ. I'd have to, you know, prove that dinosaurs were in the Bible. You know, all that kind of thing. Nowadays, geez, the apologetic bar has been set so low, just don't be a jerk and you can be a witness. You know what I mean? Like, if you just have your life, like, halfway together, it'll stand out. If you're halfway positive, you'll stick out in the crowd. It's amazing, see? So his plan, his only plan has ever been to send you and me to the neighborhoods, the alleys, the offices, the schools, the warehouses, to send us to the factories, the government buildings, to the highways and byways, the big box stores, the mom and pop shops, to the nooks and crannies of planet Earth, and to tell anyone we meet about the great love of this great God that has stolen our hearts. That's God's plan. And so Jesus finishes his ministry on planet Earth by giving us the great commission, people call it, or the great go mission. Let's just talk about it. Before I talk through it, let's read it again because it's been a few minutes. So here it's on the screen behind me. Jesus is saying this to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always. These are some of the final words of Jesus to his followers, commanding us to go and to make disciples. Grammatically speaking, this, these verses break down like this. Essentially, it's one command surrounded by three participles. The one command in this verse is to make disciples. The three participles, participle one is as you go, Participle two is as you baptize. Participle three is as you teach. So Jesus is assuming that you are going and baptizing and teaching. And he's commanding you that as you go, make disciples. And as you baptize, make disciples. And as you teach, make disciples. Does that make sense? The only command here is to actually make disciples. So in other words, Jesus is not telling you to add something extra into your schedule. That's important. He, he's, not, he's not telling you to fill up your already busy schedule with an extra thing that you have to do in order to be a, quote, good Christian while you're doing everything else. No, Jesus is saying, look it, take everything that you're already doing and make disciples. So as you go to baseball practice, make disciples. As you go to class, make disciples. As you go to work, make disciples. As you go, you're going shopping, make disciples. You're going to shop anyway. Might as well make disciples while you do it. See, it's not an extra in your schedule. But I can tell you this from personal experience. If you're anything like me, I need to be intentional about it. 
Because if you're like me, you're prone to, you have the propensity to get wrapped up in your own little world, your own little space, to not pay attention to anybody else around you, anybody else like that. You kind of, yep, I've got to get in, I've got to get out, I've got to do this, I have to do that. And I'm only thinking about this right here, and I, I miss the fact that I'm actually commanded to make disciples while I'm doing all of this. See? So I need to be intentional. So it doesn't take extra time, but it does take intention. Paul Borthwick, he's the author of a book called The Great Commission, Great Compassion. Great little book, skinny little book. You can read it quick. But he breaks this, these verses down into four parts. He calls it our platform, our destination, our message, and our promise. And I thought I would just use that here this morning. So he says our platform is this. Our platform is the authority of Jesus. Jesus is the one who's sending us, not me, not the church, it's not a program, literally the second person of the Trinity, the Lord of the universe, is sending you with his authority to represent heaven as you go, as you teach, as you baptize. So, so catch that, that's significant. Jesus is saying, here, I'm sending you to do this. So will you respond? See, it's, it'd be the same as uh, if, you know, if your boss sent you on a business trip, said, hey, I'd like you to go and represent us at this conference. See, you're going to represent, you're going by the authority of your boss and your company to represent them at that. The same is true here. Jesus, with all authority being his, sends you with that authority to represent him. You're a sent one. I remember on one of my trips to Congo, um, when we were working there as a church, we were working there, we were, spent about 10 years maybe, 9, 10 years working there to build a hospital uh, deep in the interior part of the country, a little town called Mfondo, deep in the jungle. And on one of the trips, I had a couple of opportunities to go, and one of the trips that I went, I got to meet and worship and spend a Sunday with um, an Aka Pygmy tribe. And it was a blast. Uh, these people are about four feet to five feet tall, so you can imagine that I stood out pretty strong. And um, we had a wonderful day together. And I was talking with some of the men of this tribe, and they were sharing how every, they were about to go on a missionary journey. And that, and I, so I, that was, I was curious about that, so I asked them further, you know, and found out they did this every year. This was an annual missionary trip for them. They would take a month, and they would leave their wives and their children in the village, and they would go out deeper into the jungle where they lived, to the region, and they would share the gospel with other you know, villages and so forth around. And I was quite taken by this. I was like, you got to understand, these are men who they don't have any theological training, nothing formal. They didn't, at that point, even have the whole Bible in their language. They had a few select books of the New Testament in Lingala, but that was it. So, so, you know, they don't have nearly the kind of equipping and training that you and I have. Not even close. And yet they're called, they go out into the woods to share the gospel. So I'm asking these guys, I said, what... What uh, prompted you to do this? Is this something that your church does? Is this something that your pastor has told you to do? And, and you know, they looked at me like I had two heads because they, they just said, 
well, Jesus told us to go. This, there was a simplicity and a clarity about their relationship with God that was stunning to me. And I wanted to, so much to bottle it up and bring it home. These men didn't have all of the, I'll say the trappings, you know, of church life that we have. A simplicity and a clarity. Jesus said, go, so we go. And we pick this month, and we just take a month, and we go. I love that. Jesus said, go, so why don't we go? See? That's our platform. We go on his authority. And then the second one is our destination. Our destination is to all the nations. Jesus says, you take, make disciples of all nations. Now, when we see the word nations, we, we don't want to think nations like we typically think of. It's not nations like Germany, France, England, Italy, you know, Colombia, United States of America, Mexico. Like, these aren't, that's not the, that is, those are nations, but that's not what this is, you understand? In the Bible, whenever you see the word nations, whether it's coming from the Hebrew or the Old Testament or the Greek or the New Testament, most of the time, the word is not nations like we think, it's, it's the word ethnicity. In fact, the Greek word here in Matthew 28 that Jesus used, to all nations, is to all ethnos. So you hear the connection? Ethnos, ethnic, ethnicity. Jesus is sending us to all ethnicities. So he's not necessarily sending you to some faraway country. He's sending you to all ethnicities. And look around. Do we not have a lot of ethnicities right in this region? See? You know, do you know how many ethnicities there are? I've never counted. I don't know that I've ever read anybody that's counted up how many different ethnic groups there are on the planet. I'm guessing there are a lot. Can I just, can I just rant for a second? Can I just... For a second, okay, thanks. Um, this might offend some of you, but I hope it doesn't. Can I just, one of the things that really bugs me about where we are in America with all the racial stuff that's going on is we're beginning, we treat people like they're monolithic. Like you're either black or white. Do you know how many different blacks there are and how many different whites there are, right? Or Asian. Do you know how many different Asians there are? Or brown. You know how many different Spanish people, how many brown-skinned people there are? How many different ethnicities are represented in those colors? You know what I mean? That's wrong. Do you, I mean, try telling a Japanese person that they look Chinese and see how that goes. Or that they, they look Korean. Right? And, or, or a black person. There's a big difference between a black who's from Nigeria and an African-American and a black who's from Puerto Rico. Those are entirely different cultures. It's wrong to paint them with a broad brush. Or how about whites? Hey, you know, I'm a white guy. You know, you don't find it a little offensive that white guys get all lumped into one category? Like, like try telling an Italian that they're Irish and see how that goes or a German, that they're Ukrainian, or Russian. You see what I mean? They're, they're different ethnicities. And the Lord is calling us, actually, to all ethnicities. And Arabs, don't get me started on Arabs. You know how many different Arabs? There's a lot of Arabs. 
My point is simply this, that Jesus has called us to make disciples of all ethnicities. And if we're to be effective, then we need to stop treating people who share the same skin pigmentation as being the same, because they're not. They're different. And we need to become curious about, and we need to honor the beauty that God has placed in all of these different ethnicities, because it's beautiful. At the, at the throne of Jesus, we see every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, every ethnos, by the way, every tribe, and every tongue, every ethnos represented at the throne of Christ. He's created them. He's made them. They are beautiful in his sight. George Bernard Shaw said this once. He said, the worst sin is not hatred, but indifference. I fear that our culture is almost bullying us into indifference, where we're too afraid to openly appreciate one another's ethnicity because we might offend somebody. What's wrong with turning around in the grocery store, checkout line, and asking the person behind you, hey, I, I detect an accent. Where are you from? Like, what's wrong with that, with being curious about someone, you know? And then what's wrong with the, asking them about the way they dress or maybe why they use certain mannerisms? And by the way, I'm not just talking about non-white people. I mean, you do it with white people. You ever notice there's white people with different accents? You know what I mean? Hey, where are you from? I'm Ukraine, I'm Bulgaria, you know, Poland, and it's beautiful, see? And it's always fun to guess whether they're from Australia or Great Britain. It's sort of a 50-50 shot, you know? Sounds like Britain. No, I'm Australian. All right, okay, I guessed. I've talked with a lot of people over the years. Can I tell you? No surprise, I'm sure. I've talked with a lot of people over the years in checkout lines, and I can tell you that people like to talk about themselves. They do. As long as you are genuinely interested, it's got to be genuinely interested. As long as I love you and they know I love you, right? They'll talk about themselves. So, so we are sent by the authority of Jesus to all ethnicities, and Jesus gave us the content of what to say. What's the content of my message? Jesus says, teach them to obey everything that I've taught to you. So the content of my message is what Jesus is teaching me. Well, what's Jesus talking to you about lately? What's Jesus encouraging you with lately? What prayers have you gotten answered lately? What's Jesus convicting you about lately? These are the things that you share. This is what Jesus is teaching you. See, I'm not making stuff up. I'm sharing what Jesus is doing in my life. It's one of the things I love. He's not here this morning, so I'll just, he, he was in the first service. It's one of the things I love about Bud. Don't you love that about Bud? He's always got something to share that God's talking to him about. And whether you want to hear it or not, you're going to hear it because he's just going to give it to you. That's just the way it is. I love that about Bud. Always something fresh with him. It's one good reason, honestly, why we need to stay in the Bible, why we need to keep reading the Word, why we need to listen to podcasts, new Christian music, because I always want something fresh that I can share with others, right? It's what speaks to me. This is the content of our message. We teach what Jesus has taught. But check this out. Look at verse 20 again. He says, teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. 
to obey. In other words, what Jesus is saying is not the same as what others are saying or what others have said. It's better. It's more compelling. The message of Jesus is far greater than the message of any other religious leader that you can think of. It's better. We need to figure out how to communicate, because we do live in a world where people want to make them all equal. But we've got to figure out how to communicate the superiority of Jesus' message without coming across like a jerk. Somehow, there has to be a way, I'm confident, of being able to share humbly that I have found something superior. I have found someone supreme, and he has changed my life, and he can change yours too if you'll let him. See? And lastly, the promise. Jesus gives us a promise. He promises to be with us in our going. As we make disciples of all ethnicities, he will be with us. You know, I wonder sometimes if the reason why I miss his presence is because I'm off mission because he promises to be with me as I'm on mission. You see that? As you go, as you're making disciples of all ethnicities, baptizing, teaching, so forth, he says, I'll be with you. And I wonder sometimes, you know, when I feel like the presence of Jesus is not near, when I feel like I'm, you know, missing him, I wonder if part of it is because I've just gone off mission. And I get back on mission, and there's his presence again. So there's a couple different ways that people respond to a message like this, and I thought it would be good to just put it out on the table so that we can address them, okay? Sometimes, maybe some of you are feeling guilt at a message like this. You're responding like this. You go, yeah, I know I should do more. I already feel like a bad Christian. I should do more, make disciples. Okay, please, I hope you don't hear guilt. It's part of the reason why I didn't bring out the statistics of starving children and all the people that are going to die and go to hell during the time that we sit here in church, right? Because all, all stats like that do is make you feel bad. And, and certainly that's not been my goal, to make us feel bad. But we want to hear the heart of Jesus. Dr. Robert Seipel says, guilt is a paralytic emotion. I agree with that. I just feel bad and I do nothing about it. The second way that some people might respond to a message like this is deflection. And I've heard this over the years. Every time I start to talk about sharing Jesus with the people around us, every time I talk about the Great Commission, something like this, somebody will accuse me of just wanting to be about the numbers. I just want to grow New River Church. That's all you want to do is be a mega church pastor. I know. And you know what? My answer to that is this. Whether my motive is, is right or it's wrong, which, by the way, that's not my motive for the record, but if it's right or if it's wrong, it doesn't excuse any of us from disobeying the command of Jesus. And the third way that some people might respond is with denial. Uh, well, you know, evangelism's not my spiritual gift. So I, I give that to the pastors, to the professionals. That's, that's left for you to do. And that's nowhere here in Jesus' words. That he's given this command to, he's sending all of us and not just a select few special people. We're all given influence, and your influence is different than my influence. 
He has given you a, a place, a sphere of influence. Use your sphere of influence for his glory. Rationalization, that's the way some people respond. We rationalize it. We say, well, you know, people don't really want to hear it anymore. You know, the culture's moved away from this. We're, we're increasingly secular. And we say things like that and kind of comfort ourselves with how hard it is to do this out there. Can I just hear, this isn't very encouraging, but it's true. It's always been hard. It's always been hard. Have you read the New Testament? Like, these guys died for this message. They were killed for it, right? So it wasn't easy for them, and it's not going to be easy for you and me. But the truth is, there are people who are hungry, desperate, open, and that's where Jesus is sending us. And then the last response is ignorance. It's a plead, I plead ignorance. Well, you know, I think I need to take a class on this. You know what it is, is New River Church hasn't done any training on evangelism, and that's why I don't share my faith, because I haven't been trained in how to do it, you see. I need to learn more about this. You know, shouldn't we leave this to the professionals? And, and sometimes we get afraid, like, what if I get stuck in a spot, see, where I'm not going to be answer, able to answer their question? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you would just train me better, then I'll never get stuck in that awkward spot where I can't answer a question. And can I just say this? I hope you get stuck in a spot where you can't answer a question. So, what? That's not very nice. Yes, I, I mean it in all love. I hope you get stuck where you can't answer a question, where the cat has got your tongue. You say, well, why? Two reasons. Number one is this. It will keep you from giving away some prescripted garbage answer. That's, and listen, your friends don't want that. They don't want it, okay? And the second thing that it'll do is it will keep you more humble. It will make your journey with Jesus a lot more real. You can show them that you don't have to have all the answers in order to follow Jesus. Because look, I don't have the answer to your question right now, and I still follow Jesus, see? Do you understand? There's, there's power in you being just who you are. Jesus is not asking you to be something that you're not. He's not. He's just asking you to be you. Give yourself to him and let him work. He'll, he'll do the rest. So I'm just going to ask us to do two things today. Number one is this, live as a sent one. Live as a sent one because you are. And Jesus is the one who's sending you to represent him. Not me, not the church. Jesus is actually sending all of us. We're a sent one. You are here for a reason. Jesus has sent you here. And so I need to live aware of that calling, that Jesus has made me a sent one. I'm here because he sent me here. So what does that look like? What does being a sent one look like? Here, I'm just going to throw out a couple of ideas. It might look like the teacher who goes into their classroom early each morning and prays over each chair in their room. It, it might look like the business owner who leads prayer each Wednesday morning with any employee in their company who wants to be a part of it. it. It might look like the neighbor who walks their neighborhood to intentionally meet their neighbors and stops to talk with people that they meet just to build relationships. It might look like you go to a restaurant to be served. To, you, you go to a restaurant not to be served, but to actually serve your server. Have you ever 
been concerned about the person who comes and brings you your water at your table or brings your basket of bread or whatever, and you notice, man, it seems like you're having a hard day. I just did that the other day, actually. And it was, you know, it opens up a great conversation. It might look like the student who demonstrates good sportsmanship at their soccer game or whatever, their wrestling match or whatever they're doing. It looks different. The point is, be aware of the fact that you are a sent one. And you're not sent because New River Church has sent you. You're sent because Jesus Christ has sent you. You always are on mission. And you're either doing it poorly or you're doing it well. And the choice is yours. So I find that being aware of the fact that I'm sent keeps me on mission a lot more. I need to be aware of it. Remember the whole propensity earlier to get stuck in my little world? So Lord, keep us from getting stuck in our own little worlds and being aware of the fact that you've sent us. And then the second thing I'm asking you to do is don't leave anyone out. Christianity is open to everybody. Our worldview is inclusive, not exclusive. We don't want anybody to be left out. See? 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God wants all people to be saved, all people, and to come to a knowledge of the truth, all ethnicities. So it's time for us to get curious about other people who are different than we are. Learn to ask questions. If I could give you one thing, just go home even today and scratch on a notepad, like different questions that you could ask a stranger, just questions that you could ask anywhere that you meet somebody. Like, what language are you speaking? Hey, where are you from? What's life like there? What's the dominant religion in that country where you're from? What brought you here to the USA? All basic questions that, that, that express a curiosity, that express a love in another human being besides myself. See? Karis, you can come and, and play. This week, I'll just close with this story. This week, I uh, was riding in a cop car with a friend, and um, we got talking about matters of faith, and uh, he asked me this question. He says, I don't understand why all of the religions don't just get along. It's a common question these days. We live in a coexist world. Um, so I asked him this question. I said, how would you feel I said, first of all, I said, that's a good question. You know, you always compliment the question. That's a great question. Thanks for asking that. And then, and then I said, now, how would you feel if uh, I came into your house and I started just telling you that you were doing everything wrong in your house, like your wife is a disaster, your kids are a wreck, your house is a mess. Like, how would you respond to that? He said, well, that'd make me mad. I said, precisely. Because your house is deeply personal to you. I said, you know, religious beliefs are like that. Religious beliefs are deeply personal for people. And so to, to come against someone's religious beliefs is almost like me coming into your house and saying that your wife's ugly, you know? He said, oh, I never thought about that before. I said, and then you think about how religious beliefs are different, and many religious beliefs conflict with one another, right? I said, so if we hold these things deeply personally, and if what I hold deeply personal conflicts with what you hold to be deeply personal, now we have a conflict. 
So the idea of all of these religions getting along together is kind of a pipe dream. But here's the but, and I gave him the but. Here's the but. The but is this. It's a big one. God is not religious. God has nothing to do with these religions, including Christianity, by the way. Christianity is a world religion, okay? You understand Christianity is our mess. Jesus didn't come to start Christianity. He says, follow me. That's what he says, see? So as a world religion, they're all equally off. And God is not religious. He's not really, he doesn't identify with any of them. Now, my friend is Jewish, and so, uh, so I, I said, now, you know about Abraham. Well, he knows about Abraham. I said, so, you know, this is how it worked with Abraham. You know, Abraham, the ironic thing about him is, is that he wasn't Jewish. He said, really? Because he didn't know that. I said, yeah, he wasn't a Christian either, and he wasn't a Muslim either. Like, Abraham would not have identified with any of those religions. What? Right, he predates them. Right? He predated Judaism by four or five hundred years. He predated Christianity by 2,500, something like that, years. Predated Islam by 3,000 years. I mean, he, these all came after Abraham. But I told my friend, I said, you know what made Abraham special? What's that? Abraham was a Chaldean, a pagan dude, rough and tumble. And the God of the universe met him one day. He had an encounter with God, and it changed his life. And he began to develop a relationship with God to the point where at one point in the Bible, God actually referred to Abraham as my friend. And you know what? God wants to be your friend. That's the point. And that's what I share with my friend there in the front seat of the police car. And you say, well, did he get saved? He must have. No, he didn't. He didn't come this morning. Remember, the command is to make disciples, not decisions. That's the command. This is, this is not hit and run evangelism. This is not wham, bam, pray this prayer, get out of a jam kind of evangelism, right? This, this requires a much deeper investment of relationship. And, and it's why our first priority must be to take an interest in people, to actually take an interest in them. Because God takes an interest in them. And he has created all of us different. And we can acknowledge that these differences are beautiful. And we can actually use these differences, we can actually use these differences as a platform for the gospel. See, we have an opportunity. This is what we're called to do as we go, as we teach, as we baptize. I didn't really dig into the baptism or the teaching, I know, but this is what we do as we go, teach, and baptize. We make disciples. We look for these kinds of conversations. We look for these opportunities where my life can rub off on somebody else's life and move them maybe just a step closer into a relationship with Jesus. That's what the Lord's calling us to, friends. Let's pray.
Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.